Sometimes things happen and you just have to step back and wonder what in the world is going on here? What do I make of what's happening? Sure, we've all been through times when we say, well, you just can't make this stuff up. And, and that's part of what I mean. But part of what I mean is, do we ever step back and take a moment to think about what's going on, the kind of phenomenal things that happen, and then try to make sense of that and, and ask ourselves, is there something going on here that we shouldn't miss? Is there something happening here that's really important for us to to, to get a handle on. Well, we're going to spend some time, a little bit of time, thinking out loud about that kind of thing here on the program today. You're listening to Faith Is, and I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I am a real pastor of a real church, in case you ever wondered. Our church is in Cape Coral, Florida, and if you're ever in our area, Southwest Florida, stop by, say hello, we'd be glad to have you. And I've been thinking about one of the things that has happened in recent days and thinking, you know, we probably shouldn't miss whatever it is that's happening and whatever it means to us. Sometimes we get caught up in things and we think, wow, isn't that neat or isn't that cool or, or that's amazing or whatever else we might describe it. But do we look a little farther than that? Now, we're not going to unpack every le- level and layer of things, but... If you're willing, and I hope you are, I want us to think out loud a little bit. Now, there's a real little bit of risk in thinking out loud. You understand that, of course, because sometimes the things that come out you wish didn't. Well, I'm willing to take that risk if you are. But the other benefit is sometimes when we think out loud, we discover things we never imagined. So maybe together we will discover th- some things we never imagined. And, and it could happen when you yell back at, <laughs> at me as you're listening and say, you're, you're just crazy. That can't possibly be true. Well, you, you might be right. But I want us to think about this because I think it's important for those of us who are followers of Jesus, for the church, to notice what's going on, to understand our times in the same way that people in biblical history needed to understand their times. So let's think out loud. After all, this is America out loud, so I guess we can do that here. We ought to have permission, don't you think? So what I've been thinking about this week is the whole phenomenon related to and around the song that Oliver Anthony sang, recorded, and that has taken the country by storm. You probably have heard about it. Well, you may not have. Not everybody pays attention to things, but the song is entitled Rich Rich Men, excuse me, Rich Men North of Richmond. And it's kind of an anthem about the frustrations and the aggravations that people are experiencing these days. And it's not my intent to go through the lyrics of that song and analyze them as much as I've, I've been thinking about the reaction to that song and the outpouring of support for Oliver Anthony. Now, you probably know that Oliver Anthony was completely unknown to most of us. I mean, nobody had heard of him except maybe his closest friends, and yet he had been writing music and singing it for quite a while, and he had gone through his ups and plenty of downs, as he describes it. And so he recorded this song and, and just kind of put it out there. Not in a fancy recording studio, not because he had a recording contract or anything like that, just a plain, heartfelt song. And it was essentially 
an, an anthem or a lament, maybe it's better to call it a lament, about how hard life is these days. Well, that should get our attention because a lot of us think life is hard these days. I get that. You get that. I wouldn't deny it. I mean, every time I drive by the corner gas station and see the price has gone up, it reminds me that life is hard because that price of gasoline is an indicator that everything else is going to get more expensive because everything I need, everything you need, everything that comes to the grocery store down the street is delivered by a truck. And every time fuel goes up, their costs go up, and so it's going to be reflected in the price I have to pay. So we all kind of understand, and, and that's just inflation. That's just one thing. There's plenty of other things, but, but that's an illustration that, that so many times we feel like life is hard. I'll give you another illustration. I heard recently that, that the average price of a house is over $400,000 now. That's enormous. That's four times what our house cost. And, and I thought that was a lot. I was glad to get it at the time because, wow, where would I be now? I keep thinking if I had to start out. And the, and the average price of a house is $400,000. That's just a lot of money. I have great compassion for young men and women who are starting out in life. How are they going to manage that? It's going to be difficult. Well, anyway, that's the essence that I, that I kind of sensed out of this song, this lament that Oliver Anthony produced and sang and that everybody has identified with and it has just boomed in popularity, number one on various charts, and you can check all those. So I, be, I began thinking about that. And I thought, you know, you and I ought to think about that. And, and how does that relate to our, to our faith? After all, this program is Faith Is, where we understand that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. So one of the things I guess we ought to ask ourselves, is it okay to lament? Well, apparently so. There are a lot of laments in the Bible. You can read the Psalms, for example, and find plenty of examples of laments. And if you are struggling, if you are down, if you are having a hard time of one sort or another, it doesn't really matter what the subject is. Open the Bible and go through the book of Psalms and read some of the lament Psalms and read what the writers of the Bible said to God about their hard times. And you may just find encouragement because you may just realize that, that God can handle your lament the same as he handled theirs. And God is not unaware of our hard times. And we'll get to that a little bit in the life of Moses. But what's going on with Oliver Anthony? Yes, it's a lament. Yes, he has plenty of reasons to lament. And then I noticed just today that there was a an article, a news article, that referred to his performance at a place called the North Street Press Club. It's in Farmville. I'm not sure what state Farmville is. I don't, if they said, I don't remember, but I think it's Virginia, because that's where he's from. But he's doing this concert at this, at this um, North Street Press Club, and he starts the concert. He's a very casual guy. He just kind of walks out and gets his act together a little bit. Doesn't seem to be all polished and everything. He's just, he's just a guy. It's kind of refreshing that he's that way. And he, he just comes out and starts sharing. And before he ever begins to sing a song, he opens a Bible and reads. Now, that got my attention because I'd heard his references to the Bible in other places, too. 
And so I was thinking, okay, we really need to listen. Now, now remember, it's, I'm not saying that, that what Oliver Anthony is saying in his songs or the fact that he's reading the Bible is what I'm noticing most. What I'm noticing most is how everybody seems to be latching on to this and identifying with it and saying, yes, or in church terms, amen. So, so that's what I want us to think about. What's going on here? Well, he began to read from the Bible, and it was the book of Revelation. Well, that also gets my attention, because I am kind of fascinated by the book of Revelation, not for the reasons most people think, but that's a different subject. I'm still fascinated by it. And he opened the Bible, opened to Revelation chapter 21, and read the first eight verses. And he read it from the New International Version, near as I could tell. I checked while he while I was listening to the recording of him uh, reading. But I want to I want to read this first, and, and I want you to think about the reactions people have been having, maybe your own reactions to what Oliver Anthony has put in his songs and apparently is expressing from his heart, and now expressing from the heart of God by reading Revelation chapter 21. So here are the verses, in case, you, in case you miss this, or in case you don't know what those verses are right offhand, and I wouldn't expect you to. Revelation chapter 21, starting with verse 1 from the New International Version. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost, from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So what's going on with all of this with Oliver Anthony? What's going on with this lament that seems to be grabbing people by the heart? What's going on with all this? Could it be, and here we are thinking out loud, so think with me, could it be that what we are seeing in the response to Oliver Anthony's lament is literally tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people responding positively to his words 
and agreeing with his lament. And now he reads this from Revelation, which is a vision of God coming to live with his people. God who has prepared or is preparing and will have prepared, based on Revelation 21, a new heaven and a new earth. Old things passed away, the new has come. And God will live with us, his people. And it sounds to me like what people are resonating with is this vision that God one day will make all of the wrongs right. That one day we will live with God in the kind of world that we long to live in, where we won't have to deal with, in Oliver Anthony's words, rich men north of Richmond where we will have a God who is just and true and faithful, and we will live in the house of the Lord forever. To quote Psalm 23. Is that your aspiration? You see, I think millions of people want that kind of world, but for some reason we've missed that God wants that kind of world for us too. Here, now, and then as well. And the way we get it here and now is to follow Jesus, to do what he says. If everybody lived, to put it simply, according to the Ten Commandments, we wouldn't need laments like rich men north of Richmond. We'd live in a world far better than we live in now. And I think part of the reason people are resonating with this song is that they, they know They don't know all the reasons. I don't know all the reasons. None of us knows all the reasons. But they know deep in their hearts that something's not right. And and they know people are making it wrong and need to make it right. And so we want, we long for, we, we imagine, along with the writer of the scriptures, that that new day is coming. You know, I've had something going on in my mind for a while that that really got my attention and and I'm I'm a kind of a fan of apologetics what I mean by that is the is the evidence for the truthfulness of the bible the reliability of the bible that we can depend upon the what the bible says and what christian faith is all about and so I like to to listen to people who who can make those kinds of arguments to support Christian faith. It's not that I struggle to believe it so much. I did in in my younger days and that's what apologetics really helped me a lot. And and so apologists have tended to spend a lot of time trying to help people realize that the Bible is true and to convince them that they can trust what the Bible says and by extension trust God, have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. But I heard recently, and and this I I haven't quite figured out where this fits, and that's why I'm glad we're thinking out loud, aren't you? I heard one person recently say he wasn't so concerned about trying to convince people that the Bible was true, but to try to help them make, or to help make them want the Bible to be true. And you know, that seems to me what's going on with this phenomenon related to Oliver Anthony's song, and then of course, the amazing thing that he read from Revelation chapter 1 in that concert, that we are beginning to to see among a lot of people evidence that they want the Bible to be true. They want a better world. Now, I'm not sure that people have connected their desire for this world to be fixed because it's broken. Okay, we all know that. 
and, I, and they desire for it to be fixed. I, 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 I agree with them. I want it to be fixed too. So do you. But what they haven't maybe connected and what maybe we should take away from this whole Oliver Anthony phenomenon is that, that God is going to fix it and there is a better way and we can start walking with him today. That he hasn't abandoned us. He's with us now and we can trust him today. And don't you want that to be true? Now, a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about all the bad things. And, and to be sure, uh, there's a lot of bad things happen. All right. I read an article. Um, it was a pretty well-written article. I wasn't real impressed with, with what he had to say in there, but it kind of gave me some food for thought. And essentially, he was reviewing a book, a book I'm not familiar with and probably wouldn't read. It's just not a subject that interests me a great deal or I think would help me. But essentially, the book was about how we got the Bible and he was saying how it was framed in that the losers wrote the story. Well, that got my attention because that's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is, I read the back of the book and we win. Revelation 21, what Oliver Anthony read at his concert. But what has made me think about that is they framed all of the things at least things they cited from the story of God's people in terms of the bad things that happened to them. And I thought, that's a curious way to think about it because I think about it as look at the way God has been working through human history to redeem, to make whole, to make right, to give us an opportunity. And and we've been following that a little bit in the story we followed from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it continues. And, and uh, so this idea that, that it's the story of the losers seems to me it's the wrong way to think about it. It's the story of how God has helped his people. And the reason they ran into trouble is because they didn't live according to what God said to do. They ignored God's instructions. They didn't do what he asked them to do. They didn't refrain from what he asked them to refrain from. And it got them into trouble. Well, who's surprised at that? Not me. Are you surprised? No, we shouldn't be, but sometimes we are. So imagine that people are thinking, and if I'm right, imagine that people are longing for the story of the Bible to be true. And they're just waiting now for people to help them understand the story of the Bible so they can be a part of that. You know, all of the people that are frustrated, fed up, at their wits' end, people used to say, all of them need to know that one day God is going to make all these wrong things right. And the lament, if, if that's what it is, and that's what I've called it here as we're thinking out loud, the lament from Oliver Anthony is simply a longing to get it right. It's a longing to do right, to treat people right. And, and that's what Jesus said. Love God with all you've got, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole thing summed up. And, and imagine a world where people did that. Imagine a world where people loved God with everything they've got, put him first in every way, and they loved their neighbor as themselves. Imagine a world like that. I think that's what God is doing among people today. He's 
asking them, stretching them to imagine a world like that. The next step then is to connect that imagination to the story of the Bible and the liberation that comes from following Jesus. How about you? You ready to get out of your lament and follow the one who leads us from the valley of the shadow of death, as Psalm 23 says, to restoration of soul. Remember, part of what Psalm 23 said was, He restores my soul. Lament to a restored soul, to I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I want that to be true. I don't know about you, but God has convinced me it's true. Because he sent a Savior, a Savior to become sin for us, to die so we wouldn't have to, to obliterate our enemy called death, and lead us to life, life like it was always meant to be, and we will dwell with him forever and ever. Amen. Well, that's thinking out loud a little bit about Oliver Anthony. I want us to get into really the the focus of what I had thought as I was getting ready for today and the the focus of the story from the Bible. And, And I think that in some interesting ways, this story we've been following from the Bible is actually connected to this idea that people are lamenting over our times and wanting something better. So a few weeks ago, if you've been listening, and if you haven't, we'll catch you up real quick. We were talking about understanding this idea of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And did we understand what that meant and who those guys were and and how that unfolded the Bible story through their lives? Abraham being the, the man that God spoke to early on, go back to middle of Genesis or maybe a little more than the, earlier than the middle of Genesis, about chapter 15. And we discover that God invited Abraham He was called Abram at the time. He became Abraham. That's part of the story. We're not going to get into that, but check it out. It's very cool. He invited Abraham into covenant partnership and promised Abraham that he would have heirs, so many that you couldn't count them, more than the stars of the sky or the sand of the sea. And Abraham believed God, and his confidence in God, his absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, he believed God would keep his promise and give him a son. Because that was what God said. I will give you a son. Because Abraham didn't, at that time, have a son. Well, he waited 25 years, and and he was too old by all accounts to have a son, and so was his wife. But his wife conceived a son and gave birth to Abraham's son, Isaac. So there we have the Abraham and the Isaac. And Isaac became the son of promise. And God began to show to Abraham, Hey, I keep my promises. I'm going to give you more more heirs than you ever imagined. Well, Isaac grows up, and all at once God says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. And that's a whole interesting story. Isaac is rescued from that, but Abraham is faithful, and he trusts God, even trusting God so much that he knew God could raise Isaac up if if he killed him. There's a whole, whole deep understanding of what God is up to in that story. And too many people get stuck on why would God ask for a sacrifice of his son? And they miss all the rest of it. So don't get stuck there. But 
God provided the sacrifice, which is part of the story that God wants us to hear, that God provides what we need. He provided a sacrifice for Abraham at the point so that Isaac was delivered, and so the promise could continue. So Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. We've followed Jacob. Jacob had a brother Esau, but the line of God's people was continued through Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, became the 12 tribes of Israel. One of them was Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers because they were jealous and hated him. Whole story to that. They sold him into slavery, and Joseph ended up in Egypt. He became second in the household of Potiphar. As a slave, he ran the whole place. Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything until he was unjustly accused by a woman of misbehavior, and Potiphar put him in prison. Luckily, fortunately, by God's grace, we should say, Potiphar didn't have him killed. Joseph ends up in prison. He becomes second in command of the prison in a short time. So he's running the place, and the guy who's the, the guy who's supposed to run the place just trusts Joseph to take care of things, and he does. A couple of guys end up there, and by the course of events, which you'll need to go back and check yourself, Joseph ends up in the palace of the king, second in command of all Egypt. And the reason for that was simple, because Joseph told the king the meaning of his dreams and that they needed to get ready for famine. And so the king put Joseph in charge of the preparation for the famine and then in distri- distributing the food that they, that they stored, that they collected during the seven good years, Joseph then began to sell the food during the seven hard years of famine. It ended up in his family coming to Egypt and them being reunited in a most remarkable way. And the whole clan, the whole family, extended family, uh, all of Joseph's 11 brothers and uh, their father's household, everybody moved to Egypt. And so they lived there and they prospered and they thrived. But then... A king that didn't know them came to power, turned against them, was concerned that they might overtake him, that they might become too powerful, and so he orders the babies killed. Well, the people didn't comply with that order. Um, We could take a pause here and go in a lot of directions, but we might ought to remind ourselves that when our government gives us illegal orders to comply, orders that we, the consent of the governed, have not given them permission to do, then we don't need to comply. When when we have guaranteed liberties given by God and guaranteed in our laws, we don't need to comply. I mean, people will get real nervous when I say that, but, but that's the story of, of the beginning of the book of Exodus. They didn't comply in killing the babies. Aren't you glad? And God honored the people for that. In fact, one couple had a son, and they liked that son a lot. I'm not sure who would ever have a son and not like their son, but they they kept him secretly hidden so he wouldn't be killed and ultimately put him in a basket on a river. And uh, the girls from the palace came, one of the king's uh, daughters, uh, daughters or wives, what was it now? Anyway, one of the, one of the girls from the palace uh, comes down and sees the, the baby floating there in the uh, in the river, daughter of Pharaoh. Yeah, I got it right. Comes down, sees the baby, and ends up taking that baby as her own. Moses' sister comes out of the hiding place she was in while watching all this and says, you want me to find a nurse to take care of the baby in the meantime till you're ready for him? And of course, the answer is yes. And so she goes and gets her mother, Moses' mother. And Moses' mother then raises Moses for about three or four years 
So here Moses is rescued from death as a baby, and now he takes things into his own hands and kills this Egyptian, and now he's running for his life from Pharaoh. But the story only gets better, because we're going to skip ahead through a lot of things to a burning bush and more when we get back. So stay with us. This is Pastor Rick. You're listening to Faith Is. We'll be right back. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Change in the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Yes, Moses is running for his life. When we left Moses just a moment ago, he was on the run. A fugitive, we might say, from justice because he had killed a man. It was discovered and the king, Pharaoh, was looking for Moses to kill him. 
Well, Moses flees and he goes to a place called Midian, which is southeast of Israel in the Arabian Peninsula. And he lives there, gets settled down, finds a place to, to live and gets married, starts a family, all those kinds of things. And, and he's out tending his flocks one day. And he has a most unusual experience. Now, let's make sure we keep the context. The Moses was delivered from death because his parents refused to kill him, even though the king had ordered that he should be killed. He was delivered from death when they put him in the basket, and Pharaoh's daughter rescues him. He's delivered from the hard life of the Hebrew people because when he gets old enough, he goes to the palace and grows up. And now he kills an Egyptian who had been behaving, in Moses' view, unjustly. I think most of us would agree with that. And he runs for his life because he's a fugitive. Pharaoh wants to kill him. And he's out tending his flocks because he had gone to Midian. And um, he was taking care of things, and he has this most unusual experience. Now, here's a guy who's been rescued more than once. And now he has an experience. And God asked him to do something. Now, most of us are not going to be asked to do what God asked Moses to do. All right, I, I think we can all agree on that. But before we get too deep into this, I think we should make sure we ask ourselves, are we willing to do what God asks us to do? It probably isn't going to be revealed to us by a burning bush. All right, as far as we know, that happened once. Probably not going to happen again. But God does reveal to us what he wants us to do, and we then have to decide if we're going to do it. And that's the challenge Moses faced. Okay, so let's, let's read this. Uh, we can't read the whole story of this, but we can, read, we can read a fair amount of it. So from Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version, Update Edition, beginning in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 3. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God, to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, pause right here. God got his attention with this bush that was on fire but wasn't consumed, and, and Moses said, I better go check this out. And when God saw that he got Moses' attention, he calls out to Moses and says, Moses, Moses. And he said, Moses replied, here I am, continuing with verse 5. Then he said, Come no closer. This is God speaking. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now there's again reference we've been talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's that mean? So this is how God identifies himself to Moses. So Moses will realize this is the God of covenant. Moses rightfully hid his face and was afraid. Verse 7, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. 
I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. That's a lot of ice. Oh, I shouldn't have put that in there. But anyway, verse 9. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. Now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, God replying, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this my title for all generations. So God himself reinforces that he wants us, he wants those people to think back and to recognize he is the God that got this whole thing started. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now, he says to Moses, after he got his, clearly got his attention, no doubt Moses understood it was God speaking. And God says, hey, by the way, Moses, I got your attention. I'm sending you down to Egypt, to Pharaoh, and I want you to bring the people out of Egypt. I've seen their distress. I've seen their hardship. It's time for us to get busy and get them out of there. And uh, <laughs> Moses says, well, me? Who am I? Or we might say, what qualifies me to do that? And God says, um, you only need one qualification, really. Now, now, this is a little bit loose translation. This is an exact words you'll read in your Bible. But essentially, God says, uh, you don't really need anything else except that I'll be with you. Oh, really? You would think Moses would say, great, I'm good, let's go get it. Uh, not so fast. It didn't happen that way at all. Moses says, well, if I go down there, who, who should I tell them sent me? Well, God, pretty clear, says, tell them the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They should remember that is, is the implication there. They should know that's who it was. And, and tell them that's my title. Get them together and tell them the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me. And he sees the misery, and he's going to bring you out of this land to a better land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the Bible says. And God even says to Moses, they will listen to your voice, and, and you need to go down there and, and tell the king of Egypt, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us now go a three days journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. That's chapter 3, verse 18. God goes on to explain to Moses that, yeah, I know the king of Egypt's not going not to let you go that easily, but I'll, I'll take care of business. In verse 20, he says, I'll stretch out my hand 
and strike Egypt with all my wonders that I will perform in it, that you that he will let you go. And I'll bring them out. And, and you won't come out empty-handed. You'll come out with a lot of stuff, too. Now, these were enslaved people, and God is making these statements. And, uh, and, and then we get to Exodus chapter 4, and Moses continues. He says, but, but they might not believe me or listen to me. They might say the Lord didn't appear to you. Well, can you imagine? This is quite a conversation. Clearly, Moses knew it was God. And clearly, he's standing toe-to-toe with God. I guess he's living up to that change of name when we began to call God's people the Israelites. He's wrestling with God and having this real, real intent, uh, can I be honest with you, conversation. And the Lord says, well, what, what do you have in your hand? And Moses says, well, I have a staff. Shepherds carried a staff. That was common. And, and God said, well, throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground and became a snake. Well, that would get your attention. And uh, then, Mo, then the Lord said to Moses, well, reach out and grab it by the tail. And Moses did. Now, let's be honest. Not a lot of us would want to do that. Okay, Moses did. He reached out and grabbed it, grabbed it, and it became a staff in his hand again. And God repeats, you know, they're going to know. I want them to know. I want them to believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So, so God is saying to Moses, look, you, you don't have to convince them on your own. I want them to know. And, and the Lord again came along and he said to Moses, put your hand inside your cloak. And Moses did, and he took it out, and it was diseased, a skin disease, terrible disease. God says, put it back in, and he put it back in and brought it back out, and it was healed. It was restored. So God is saying, look, uh, I'm going to give you plenty of information, and there's some more signs that he gives, and we're going to skip over that because we don't want to get too bogged down in all of that. And, and uh, Moses goes on and the next says to him, well, look, I can't talk very well. I'm not a very good speaker. Uh, I'm not eloquent. How can I do that? Now, this is all in the context of God saying, I want you to do this, and God saying, I will be with you. And Moses still saying, yeah, not so fast, God. I can't, I don't have the skill. I can't speak well. I'm slow of speech, Moses says, slow of tongue. And then God says to him, (laughs) it's almost funny. It's not really funny because of what Moses says here we're getting to. It's almost funny. But God says to Moses, well, who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. Duh. Can you just hear hear the duh in the background there? Exodus chapter 4. That's uh, what verse was I reading? I should tell you so you can keep up. Uh, That was verse 11. (laughs) <laughs> and Moses still, uh, he objects. And finally, God says, I'll send Aaron with you, your brother, and he can help you out. He can speak well. And so he can do that for you. And, and uh, you all just need to get on with it. Well, yeah. But that isn't the end of it. Even after God assures Moses that he could help him with all these things, particularly with the speech, says in verse 14, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, What of your brother, and I'll send your brother. Now, what made the Lord angry? The anger. Now, see, up to this point, they had this conversation. God isn't described as being angry, but all of a sudden, he's angry. Well, in verse 14, God is described as being angry with Moses, because in verse 13, Moses said this, 
Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Or my way of saying it is Moses looked God in the eye and said, don't want to do it, send somebody, not me. Wow. After God got his attention at a bush and revealed himself, this is described as the angel of the Lord, which, which is God himself, that's a euphemism scriptures use sometimes, he gets his attention in this burning bush, he speaks to him, he identifies him, he tells Moses, I can handle all of the problems, they will believe you eventually, might be a struggle, and God acknowledges that, but I'm with you, I'm, I can handle every problem you face. But even at that, Moses said, nope, don't want to do it. You and I, here today, we, probably most of us, understand that there is a God who created heaven and earth. The same God formed us and made us who we are. He gave us eyes to see and ears to hear, all of the physical attributes and all of the other stuff that goes with that. It is God who gave us the ability to learn language. God gave us the ability to walk, to drive a car. There's nothing that we can do that God didn't provide for us because he made us. And now, all Moses can do is tell God all the reasons he doesn't want to do it. And finally, when his excuses run out, don't miss this, when his excuses run out, because God had answered all the excuses, when his excuses run out, verse 13, just send someone else. I don't want to do it. Now, that's not exactly the way your English translation will read. I get that. But here's the question that, that really rivets me. How many of us have said to God, when God wanted us to do something, we've said to God, nope. Just don't want to do it. We've had this wrestling match with God about how we can't do this and we can't do that and we can't do the other thing. And God has answered us back. And can't I help you with all of that? And of course he can. And then we finally come back to it. Just don't want to do it. Now, I don't know um, exactly why God was angry other than that Moses said no. Was he angry because Moses didn't believe him? Well, maybe because apparently Moses didn't believe him, and unbelief is a serious state. And, and Moses was flat out, if it was unbelief, flat out saying, I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it, leave me alone. That's disobedience, because he knew what God wanted him to do. Can you imagine knowing clearly what God wants you to do and not doing it? Some of you can. Some of us today, as we're stretching in God's direction, we know that God has asked us to do something probably not as dramatic as going and delivering enslaved people from the superpower of the age, and that's what Egypt was. But God has asked us to do something. So, you know, when I think about this, I, I ask myself this question. Did Moses really think he couldn't accomplish the mission, or did he just not want to do it? That's a very serious thing. You know, we, we, we struggle sometimes as a church, and I don't say this out loud very often, but quite a number of years ago, 
there was a lady who had been at our church before I arrived and continued on. And she said one time to me, and she was being pretty straightforward, and I was shocked by her bluntness, her honesty, and and that the state was really, the state of the church was really, as she described it, but I think she was right. And she looked at me one time and she said, you know, you keep telling us what we need to do. We just don't want to do it. Let that sink in. Now, our church has come a long way since then. And I didn't take that as, as a rejection. But don't we all have to face that at some point? Face that really challenging question? God tells us what he wants us to do, and we have to decide. Do we really think we can't do it, or do we just not want to do it? Now, I'm, I'm really reluctant to give my, uh, how should I say, testimony about this, because I don't want this program to be about me. Um, we do this for you, not for me. I don't need to do this. We do it, I do it, in hopes that it's helpful to you. But... I know without a doubt, without a doubt, I could not do any of the things I have done or do now, except that God helps me. Now, there are things, I can be honest with you, in my life that I didn't want to do. All right? I'm not going to get into that because I don't want people to wonder about this or that or the other thing. It's not important that what the specific things were. Sometime maybe I'll talk about that out loud, but not today. But it didn't matter whether I wanted to do it or not. It mattered whether God expected me to do it. Now, I know sometimes people say, well, that's good for you pastors to say you're somehow special. Uh, special. Yeah, I hear you. Do you know how special it is to be a pastor sometimes? And I'm not whining and complaining. Don't, don't, don't hear me say that. But it's not always easy. It may look glamorous to some people. Well, I can put that to bed for sure. It's not glamorous. But it is satisfying when we do what God asks us to do. Now, I'm not sure that I can accomplish what God wants me to accomplish, but I keep working at it. Because if God has called me, then he wants me to do it. And if I'm doing what he wants me to do, then he's going to accomplish what he intends to accomplish, right? Right, of course. And I know that I can do things. I have skills today that I never imagined I would have years ago, even, even some a few years ago. But God has helped me. And I just keep pressing forward. Now, how do you know what God is calling you to do? Let me give you my answer to that. Because I'm convinced that God has a special mission for every follower of Jesus. Okay? Without a doubt. I'm also equally convinced as I watch the world I live in and have lived in that not many people discover this or seem to think they need to. They somehow have acted like Moses, and said, not me, not interested, thank you very much, going to go back to my sheep, you just go on and you have to figure out some other way to do it. And it might be a simple mission, what seems simple to the rest of us, like helping kids in a church nursery, or helping in a kid's Sunday school class. It might be something simple like that, it might be a little bit more complicated. But God has something for you to do. 
And if he is calling you to do it, you need to do it. Now, how do we know what God is calling us to do? This was key to me. All right. Now, Moses, he had a burning bush. It had so much of an advantage over us in that regard. He, he couldn't escape it. He knew what he was supposed to do. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? How do we know what we're supposed to do? Well, the, it's interesting that God appeared to Moses in a fiery burning bush. And God sent what are described in the New Testament as flames of fire on the day of Pentecost when he sent the Holy Spirit. So, we keep reading in the New Testament and we follow that up and we discover that the New Testament teaches us in three places, primary text, three places, 1 Corinthians 12, not going to have time to read all of that, you can, Romans 12 and 1 Peter 4, where it talks about how the Holy Spirit gives people special abilities. They are described as usually spiritual gifts. Now, I hasten to say that often when we use the term spiritual gifts, people get all wonky and they think we're talking about speaking in tongues or some kind of other really miraculous stuff. I'm not primarily speaking of that. When you read the gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4, you read about things like hospitality and you read about things like the ability to give generously. You read about the ability to teach. Different, very concrete things that people can do. And, and a spiritual gift is, is very simply, it's a special ability that God gives by his design and purpose. We don't choose, he chooses. And he gives them to, to his people, to followers of Jesus, so that they can build up the body of Christ, the church. So here's how you know what God is calling you to do. What special abilities or spiritual gifts has he given you? Go read those verses, those chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4. And as you read them, ask God to show you, well, what, ha what gift have you given me? You see, years ago, and it's, there's much more to this than what I'm giving you now. This is the very short version. All right, but it's enough. If you'll, if you'll ask God, uh, I'm convinced he'll help you. But I discovered the gifts God had given me. It was a little bit of a surprise, not a whole bunch of a surprise. I wasn't terribly surprised. I felt more affirmed than surprised when I discovered that God had given me gifts to do what I do today. And over and over, I have been reminded, and I say to people, people will say something to me on Sunday about something I said was helpful or whatever, and and, and I consistently uh, I, I don't mean to be ungrateful for their kind words, but I consistently say we have to give God the credit because I, I don't know how to do that. I, I can't do that on my own. God helps me. And he does over and over. Now, if God would help me, why wouldn't he help you? And if he's given you and he has, I'm convinced the Bible teaches us that every follower of Jesus has one or more spiritual gifts. A lot more we could get into with that. A certain amount of controversy over that, but I don't know why there's controversy, because it's so plain in the Bible. Uh, sometimes we, people just make it complicated. Don't make it overly complicated. Read 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4, and ask God to show you what gifts he has given you. And it might be one, it might be several. Typically, it seems to me that it's a mix of gifts that work together to help us accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. Now, once you have identified those gifts, now it's up to you to develop and use them. Discovery is first, then you got to get better at it, and you you got to you got to work at that sometimes. Discover, develop, 
and use. Don't wait too long to use because you got to practice. You get better. That's part of using is part of developing. But that's the mission God has called you to. I used to hear people say the need is the call. I don't agree with that. The gift is the call. And you today are like Moses standing before that burning bush. You today are faced with the challenge of hearing God's voice. And believe me, God will speak in a way you can hear. He'll get your attention. You have the challenge of hearing God's voice and then saying, yes, here am I. Send me. I'm on it. I'll take care of it. Moses didn't. He eventually did, but he didn't at first. Let's say to God, yes, here am I. Send me. And I believe he will do more than you ever imagined. I'd love to hear about it, but we'll talk again next week.